Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Shannon Lohr, the founder of Factory 45. Shannon, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you so much for having me, Yuri. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. And it's, uh, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to chat with you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? I am the founder of Factory 45, the online business school that takes sustainable fashion brands from idea to launch. Wonderful. And I do want to get into lots of details about Factory 45. But before I do, I want to back up a little bit and just talk about fashion in general. So where did your interest in fashion and sustainability come from? Uh, Yeah, it's funny. It it goes back to 2010. I was I had just graduated college about two years before I was notoriously like a fast fashion bargain bin junkie. Like I was known (laughs) for like going to forever 21 on a Friday night, getting my $10 dress, wearing it that night, throwing it in the back of the closet, like never wearing it again. Um, Very much fed into the disposable fast fashion model. And When I graduated college, I started traveling and I met uh, a fellow traveler who was interested in starting a business. We kind of just wanted to like start something, do something creative, um, pursue sort of a different path than the conventional, you know, go get a real job. We also were graduating during like the 2008 economic crisis. So lots of things going on. And we started researching the fashion industry and what it would take to create our own brand. And what we learned was, oh my gosh, like the fashion industry is so detrimental to the planet, to the people who sew our clothes. Like it's just a really wasteful and not cool industry for the most part, um, to just put it very basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started to research sustainable fashion and that sort of led us down this road of researching and, and figuring out what it means to make something sustainably and ethically, especially when it comes to what we wear. Mm, okay. What, what did you study in, in college ahead of this? I was a journalism major, actually. Okay. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah. um, so I, so I'm curious then, so you and the, and, and a friend of yours start this fashion company and go down this journey. What was that journey like? Because it is not a, 
to go from yeah. journalism to fashion is is not the the, the typical let's say trajectory of starting a, a a brand from scratch so so what is that like yeah for sure so we first just decided we wanted to start a business and okay. we didn't know what that would look like and so we wanted to keep traveling and so we thought we were going to start an import export business of fair trade and artisanal items from Guatemala and hmm. ship them back to the United States, like very random. Yeah. And so I think that was, again, just like we wanted to go live in Antigua, Guatemala and like learn Spanish and just keep traveling. And so let's like pursue that harebrained idea. Right. <laughs> and so, <laughs> well, while we were down there, we started we came up with this idea of basically like a versatile travel garment for women like us who were backpackers, aspiring minimalists, um, just wanted to have like one garment you could throw in your backpack, take with you on your adventures. And so as we started like sketching out that idea and talking about it, we, you know, went and visited an organic cotton, fa cotton farm in Nicaragua. And we, that's when we started to do like this research around what sustainability is in the fashion industry. Mm. And what ended up happening was we're, we made very little progress and we went back to the States and we started to research how we could do it locally and um, what happened is we, after a year and a half, many closed doors, many uh, roadblocks, obstacles, we ended up creating a supply chain within a 50 mile radius, which was really unheard of in the fashion industry at the time. Like our fabric was made down the road from where our cut and sew was, where our draw, organic cotton drawstrings were made, like all of these things. And we started documenting and sharing our journey. And that's what led us to end up launching the highest funded fashion project in Kickstarter history at the time. And having this kind of like whirlwind, very cool first go at entrepreneurship. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. Um, so that the, the supply chain radius you described, it seems, I don't know, extremely difficult in other areas. What, if, if you don't mind, what, what part of the United States did this happen in? And is it like, is it possible to replicate that in other areas? Or would you just, like, it was at right place, right time. Could you talk more about how you're able to pull off this so tightly controlled supply chain in that smaller radius? Yeah, it, we did it in North Carolina, which is the textile belt of America. You know, like before uh, we started outsourcing everything overseas, we were making so much of our apparel products and and even furniture, like all different kinds kinds of things in the Carolinas. Mm -hmm. And there are still garment factories there. There are still mills there. Like they're just not on Google, you know. Yeah. They, especially at that time. Now it's gotten a little bit more that they have you know, they'll market themselves, but, um, yeah, we really, everything was through word of mouth. Like okay. it was like, Oh, we don't have that, but go talk to this person. Oh, we can't do that, but go talk to this person. Mm, okay. So, okay. So this then leads to my next question then is, so you launched on Kickstarter, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and I, I I've also helped launch a, a project or two on Kickstarter and it's, uh, extremely difficult. What was your, your process like on Kickstarter and how did you prepare for such a successful launch? Yeah, so this was early days of Kickstarter. Like this was 2011. Okay. Um, and the 
best thing we did. And I don't even think at the time we like knew we were doing this, but the best thing we did is started sharing our story. We like put up a a WordPress blog. We had a Facebook page at the time. I don't even think Instagram was like really a thing yet, or we were like starting to dabble with Instagram and we started creating an audience. And we did that for a year before we ever sold anything or asked people to pay for something. Like we, we solely shared what we were doing. We shared our mistakes. We shared the mess ups. We like, it was just this very honest documentation of what we were doing. It's just 220 somethings, like trying to start a business and like, look, you know, look, yeah. this, look at this, you know, shit show happening. Um, and, but people, it resonated with people and they felt a part of our journey and they bought into really like the mission that we were trying to accomplish, which was to create a sustainable fashion brand and to educate people on the detriments of fast fashion and, and the pollution that the fashion industry you know, reeks on the planet. And so by the time we launched our Kickstarter, like people were just, oh, like came out guns blazing. Like they were just ready to support us to pre-order our product. And um, it was helpful. We got featured in Kickstarter's like Wednesday newsletter, which was a big deal at the time because it just went out to like tens of thousands of people. We had a bunch of press, like we were connecting with bloggers and writers and um, content marketers well in advance so that we had like strategically placed interviews during our launch um, to help spread the word. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. And then is your, so is that your, uh, your brand revolution apparel, is it still in, in business now or how's that going? So I sold my portion of the business to my business partner. And then uh, that was like back in 2012 when I wanted to go kind of what ended up becoming Factory 45, but I had that idea and kind of wanted to go do something different. And then she, I think in, uh, I don't want to mess up their year, but a few years ago, she ended up selling to someone else. So it's like, it's out there in the world, but not, it's the same brand. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. It's not a part of it. So so what made you want to exit from a successful fashion brand to then start Factory 45? Yeah, I think, you know, we, it's funny because we didn't go into the brand, the fashion brand, thinking like it would be successful. You know, like we kind of were just like, let's try this and then we'll fail. Like entrepreneurs are supposed to fail and like, we'll go on and do something else. And so when we decided to sort of, you know, go our separate ways, it was more that I saw kind of this other need, which was this should be easier. Like, why is it so hard for entrepreneurs to start clothing or apparel brands the right way from the start? Like, why is it always that we have to like go the fast fashion track or like the polyester track or just like all these kind of just, just not really like thinking about sustainability and ethics from the beginning and then having to backtrack and like implement your supply chain later on. And so let's do this the right way from the start. And so that's what really led me to, um, I started just like consulting on a per project basis for a year and just kind of dabbling, like helping different brands and seeing what that looks like. And that eventually evolved into what is now factory 45. And I launched that in 2014. 
Excellent. So let's talk about Factory 45 then. And what, so we talked about it a little bit, but particularly what, what do you teach your students and, and what are the courses like and, and uh, what are some of the, the details of Factory 45? Yeah, so Factory 45 is one program that takes sustainable fashion brands from idea stage, like you have nothing on paper in most cases, to launching with a pre-sales campaign. So I really took the experience that I got from launching a pre-sales campaign via Kickstarter. And it doesn't have to be Kickstarter. It could be your e-commerce site, like your Shopify site. It could be a virtual pop-up on Instagram. It could be another crowdfunding platform. But really the idea is you don't have to risk your own savings. You don't have to risk your own time, money, energy without proving your market, really like your market viability. Like mm-hmm. you can go into this and, and test the market first without creating tens of thousands of dollars in inventory that could potentially just like sit in your basement or sit in, your, in a warehouse without ever being sold because you don't have customers yet. So mm-hmm. that is the main premise is launch with customers and money in the bank before you ever go into production and actually create inventory. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's sounds absolutely amazing. It, um, I wish there were other programs like this that focused in other parts of the, the arts world uh, as well, because it's desperately needed so that someone doesn't go into, as you just mentioned that, like tremendous amounts of debt yeah. for something that people may not actually want. Yes. So can you talk a little bit more about, so is, um, how long is the program? Is there, do you handle the design elements of it too? Is it just sourcing or could you just talk a little bit more about like what somebody who would start in Factory 45 um, go through throughout this process? Yeah, so we have five modules. We start with sourcing. Fabric sourcing is the thing that can take the longest, especially when you're trying to do it sustainably and you're looking for sustainable fabrics. Um, So we start there and that's at the same time when we're kind of, drafting a one-page business plan and we're creating a spec sheet to sort of start to get designs down on paper. And then we go into module two, which is branding and really starting to build your audience. So that again, just like I did back when I was doing my Kickstarter, like you're building an audience well in advance of ever selling anything. Um, Then we go into module three, which is pre-production product development. That's when we set everyone up and connect them with manufacturers and product development partners um, to start creating the physical samples and patterns. And then we go into module four, which is e-commerce marketing. And again, continuing to grow the audience, um, implement like different e-commerce strategies to to build your your brand, build your audience. And then module five is pre-selling and creating uh, a pre-sales campaign to raise money to go into production. Wow, that's very encompassing. Um, that's that's phenomenal. I so when you talk about sourcing, because I know your your original company came out of North Carolina. Have you, along with this, have, have you found other pockets to source in other parts of the world, or how has that evolved since your initial go yeah. at, at finding locally sourced? It's it's evolved quite a bit because. I also not only like was I just really focused on North Carolina for my own brand, but when I launched Factory 45 back in 2014, it was only a quote unquote made in the USA program. Mm -hmm. So everything 
was focused on U.S. manufacturing. And since then, I think it was probably 2016 or 2017 where I expanded to global manufacturing and accepting international entrepreneurs. So now it's a global program where we do have um, factory partners all over the world. Oh, wonderful. And is there, I'm, I think I know, I know the answer to this, but is there a particular, let's say, focus of your traditional, of your students? Like, for example, are they only in, you know, active wear or, you know? Um, no, they're no? like all over. It's like, it, it could be anything from like women's wear, active wear, all the way down to like a very specific, like I think of like one product that was like um, hats and accessories for kids who wear cochlear implants because oh, they're wow. hearing impaired, like mm-hmm. very specific um, products. And that, and that's what I always say, you know, people always ask me like, what products are you most excited about? And it, it's the ones that solve a problem. And mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that I really emphasize for people who do apply to the program. Like we're not trying to just create another, you know, cotton t-shirt brand or polyester t-shirt brand. We're really trying to create brands that appeal to a specific target niche mm-hmm. and solve a problem for that ideal target customer. With a lot of the students that you were working with, what are some common misconceptions that you hear or you know, missteps that, they, that you see happening often that you then help them correct through the program? Um, well, definitely the one like that you can just, I'll just like create a Kickstarter campaign and like <laughs> all these random people will just give me money. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely a misconception, which hopefully is like, you know, people are starting to come around to like what the reality is. Um, But that's one, like you have eat no matter where you launch or how you launch, or if even if you had like venture capitalists behind you, like you have to build an audience before you launch. That is an absolute must. Um, I think the other one is like, you know, I have entrepreneurs coming in to the program who, you know, maybe they worked in CSR or, you know, sustainability for big corporations and they come in and they want to start their own thing. And, and they're very caught up in like being a purist, like they want to do everything perfectly sustainably. Mm -hmm. And I always tell everyone, there's no such thing as perfectly sustainable every time you're creating something new, it has an impact. So our goal is to reduce that impact as much as possible. And without sacrificing the design, the fit, the functionality of the product itself, because you can have, you can create the most sustainable product on the planet. And if no one is wearing it or using it, and it's just in their closet, then it's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of coming to terms with like, where can we do the best that we can right now, knowing that we can improve and and implement sustainability in in better ways um, and more impactful ways as we grow. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious on how your company has evolved, particularly during COVID. So I, I know that it's an online program, but has did things change over the last couple of years and and how are you potentially evolving you know in a in a post-covid world around this yeah um so 2020 was our best year which obviously was height of the you know beginning Mm -hmm. height of the pandemic um and i think that just speaks to people obviously being at home uh wanting a creative outlet 
wanting something probably to take their mind off of what was happening in the world. Um, I would say, you know, and we've continued to grow since then. And, and I think again, speaks to just people wanting to do something, uh, creative and on their own. Um, the biggest thing that has probably impacted us is just the supply chain issues. Um, so, you know, that is, uh, has a global impact for many, many different types of companies worldwide, but for my entrepreneurs, you know, it does take longer to get fabric swatches in the mail. It does, it is harder to get, um, you know, rolls of fabric on time, like those types of things, uh, supply chain logistics, I would say is the, is the biggest thing. Yeah. In, so in, in, I'm curious how you look at, you know, in tracking the supply chain and because obviously as a, you know, as a company and as a brand before looking to, to make sure that everything was done sustainably, I'm sure there's some kind of mechanism you were doing to track it also to discuss um, how you're tracking it with your end consumer. So how do you look at supply chains now and, and like double checking to make sure that they're actually doing what the suppliers say they're doing and, and then broadcasting that to your end user? Yeah, I mean, it's having the conversation. So this is why like, you know, people come into Factory 45 and they're, you know, set on, uh, they have, you know, in, it in their mind that they have to manufacture in China to be able to meet their ideal re- retail price. And I sort of, you know, that's fine if that's the direction you want to go, but you need to be able to go to your factory. Like you need to be able to be willing to, to make that flight, to be in your factory in person, because mm-hmm. that is truly the only way that you can have these conversations that are difficult conversations when you're asking, okay, like how much does your, you know, lowest level sewer make? How, you know, where are your certifications, um, your licensing, like all of that, it's such a closed off industry and such a secretive, like competitive industry that I'm really, and I have been pushing my entrepreneurs to do this and, you know, did it myself back in 2010. Like you have to be willing to ask those hard questions and have those face-to-face conversations. Um, because really like there isn't another way, like there's no tracking system like it's really about you developing the relationship um and i have a youtube video for anyone who's interested who can uh if you look up like ethical manufacturing factory 45 i kind of walk you through some of the questions to ask and and how to best go about uh, making sure that you're working with an ethical manufacturer okay excellent in your own journey um like for example when you were you know, starting your company and getting through that, the times when you have been fearful or apprehensive, how do you approach those moments and how do you work with fear and, and push past it so it doesn't get in the way of you accomplishing your goal? Oh, good question. Um, this is something that like I think about every day because I work with entrepreneurs who are very new to entrepreneurship and that's when things are scariest. Mm -hmm. Um, I can, I can now say, you know, with like over a decade under my belt, like things are, are, fear still creeps up, but it's just like a lot easier to manage once you have 
some footing, like, and you've, and you've made traction. And so when you are first starting out and you feel like you haven't proven yourself yet to yourself, to others, to people, you know, people judging you, family, friends, whatever it is, it's Mm -hmm. a lot harder. Um, And so my advice really is just to put like one foot in front of the other every day. Like what is one thing you can do today to make progress? Because fear manifests as procrastination. And that's why so many people don't ever pursue the idea or finish the idea is because of procrastination and that, and again, like goes hand in hand with fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is one thing you can do today? Don't try to write a to-do list of 10 things that you want to get done because that's not realistic. And then you're going to look at the to-do list at the end of the day and you're going to feel bad and you're going to feel like you didn't make any progress. So, so again, focusing on like, what's one thing to move the needle. And, and that's the most important thing is not doing all this like fluffy stuff that maybe makes you feel productive, but actually doesn't have any impact on moving you forward. Like Mm -hmm. it has to be something that is going to move the needle and actually have an impact on forward progress. Mm -hmm. So that's that's an interesting point with that. How do you, let's say structure your day or look at your own tasks so that you are being productive and, you know, and not getting sidetracked like you were just describing. Yeah. I think the, the most helpful thing was having a kid. I have a four-year-old. <laughs> okay. So he's in school from like eight 30 to two 30. That is my time to get everything done for the day. Mm-hmm. And so it was different, you know, before I had had a kid, like it was like the day could go on all day long if I wanted it to, right? Like you could <laughs> right. just work into the night. Um, and so that having that time constraint, and that's what I tell people too, like, okay, you have this one task, let's say, set a timer, like progress is better than perfection. So set a timer for 30 minutes. If you don't get the task done within 30 minutes, then like good and it's good enough, like Mm -hmm. finish it and ship it or, you know, like that whole, that whole saying. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, it's, it's time management and, and really like putting yourself into these containers and creating boundaries of time so that you don't drag something on that really could take 30 minutes, but you gave yourself, you know, five hours to do it. Yeah. Excellent. So with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received? The best advice I've ever received. Create a business around a problem. Like it doesn't matter if it is a physical product of service, an online product, like identify a problem that people actually want a solution to, Mm -hmm. and then create the business around that rather than just like, I have this idea for a business and I'm just going to do it. And then I'll go find my customers or my problem after the fact, like it it can happen that way. But Mm -hmm. I think you have to be, you have to keep your eyes open so that you're not so married to your original idea that you can't see the better idea in front of you, which is the one that people actually want. 
because if you don't have, if you're not creating something people want, then you have a hobby. You don't have a business. Right. Excellent. I'm so to press a little bit more on that. How, so how do you like, what tactics do you use to dig in deeper to get someone to like find the actual problem? Um, because, you know, oftentimes individuals may not know what their problem is. They may just say, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm, this sleeve is bothering me or something else yeah. like that. But they really mean something else. Like what I really want is, a, you know, a, a shirt that fits me properly, but they don't know how to describe it. How yeah. do you... How do you dig in deeper to actually get to the root cause of what people are trying to say? Yeah, I think you have to first identify who your ideal target customer is. Like you mm -hmm. have to know who the customer is first and then go find the real living version of that ideal customer and have a conversation. We are mm -hmm. so afraid to like talk to people and to like, <laughs> like get on the phone or like meet in a coffee shop, whatever it is. Like we want to send out surveys and we want to stay behind our computers and we want to stay in our Instagram DMS. And really what you have to do is have that, that verbal conversation, because that's when you are able to push like, okay, what do you mean by that? So asking the follow-up questions and then taking notes and using their exact words, like the exact words coming out of their mouth verbatim, jotting that down. And then like, like you said, kind of digging deeper into, well, okay, you said this, what does it mean? Would this be a solution? Would this solve that problem? Like really just having an honest conversation. You cannot do that in your Instagram DMs, in Facebook groups, in surveys. Those are all great like preliminary research tools, but to really dive deeper and dig deeper, you have to be willing to, you know, have the combo. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Shannon, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to follow you online or even potentially um, join your school, where is the best places they can go for all of that information? Yeah, you can find me at factory45.co. Um, I'm also on Instagram at factory45co, and I have a YouTube channel, factory45. Fantastic. I will put all of those links in the show notes so people can click right through. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Shannon. This was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Yuri. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.